0: We've been talking about the altar. There's only one thing I want to refresh your memory on. uh, From the first sermon that we preached on the subject. I wanted to bring to your attention of the first place in the Bible we have an example of the altar. And it isn't where most people expected it to be. It was in Genesis when Adam and Eve fell. And God went looking for them in the Garden of Eden, calling out their names, asking them where they were. The question needed to be answered, not for God's sake, but for their sake. They needed to know where they were, right? And God heard them out, what they had to say. Each one of them was a blame party. You know, this person made me do it, That person, the devil made me do it. You need to be warned that that won't hold water for you in heaven either. Blaming anybody else or blaming the devil for your condition when you stand before God in heaven will not hold any weight. It will not hold any influence with God. So the first thing that we see in the Bible is too much coincidence involved for the altar not to be in this. If Adam and Eve were going to continue in fellowship with God, there had to be a mechanism in place for them to be able to communicate with God and, and to uh, have their sins dealt with or at least covered. So what was the first thing God did for them? Someone tell me. So what did he have to do to make them clothes? He had to kill an animal or animals. He had to sacrifice some animals uh, to make the clothing uh, that he made for Adam and Eve. To make a covering for them it's too much coincidence involved for it not to be a little bit shaded a little bit hidden that God was showing them a way that they could continue to have a relationship with him if they wanted to right now I'm not here to to spread any bad news or anything I'll just tell you that sometimes I cringe inside When I think that Hebrews chapter 11, in the great hall of faith where so many great people are mentioned by their faith, Adam and Eve are not mentioned at all. Matter of fact, Adam and Eve are only referred to uh, sparsely in the word of God as the first Adam, the first, you know, that sort of thing. Not not in, in, in glowing terms about Adam and Eve. I think that's sad. I think it's very sad. Having said that, we, we have that little glimpse in the Bible, in the beginning, in Genesis, where God sacrificed animals on behalf of Adam, for Adam and Eve to make covering for their bodies, uh, to use the skins to make clothes for them. And so um, now we want to we broaden our scope a little bit on the history of the altar in the Bible. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we're going to read the first three verses. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What are we talking about here? We're talking about an action at the altar. Does that make sense? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, "...but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned." Now, I I prayed earlier, and in that prayer, I prayed uh, about fighting, you know, soldiers in, in an army fighting a physical battle don't, don't fight on their knees, really, do they? Christians fight on their knees, right? Well, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 27 through 29. I'm going to give you a chance to get there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 29. Listen to this carefully. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And you listen carefully to these words because they pertain to this subject. The unsaved are not, you know, running down the hall, hitting their knees at the bedroom door and sliding up to the bed to pray and to cast their cares over on God. The unsaved aren't doing it. The children of God do it. Matter of fact, to the unsaved it seems foolish, right? But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now look, I I appreciate you and your faithfulness. I talked about that earlier. Without your faithfulness, you know what? God doesn't have a a printing press in heaven where he prints money out and and rains it on people. He uses people. So, but our humble responsibility is to listen to God and obey him. That's it. That's it. That's how the work gets done, right? So, we cannot brag. We can't brag on this as a church. Can we brag on what happened between 6 o'clock and 9 o'clock Friday night a week ago? No, we can't. We can brag about God but we're so special. No. No. He's so special. What's one of the mantras of this church? It's all about him. It's not even about us. It's all about him. We got to get that down on the inside if we're going to be disciples of Christ. Amen. All right. So by way of introduction, did a little math. It's easy to do now. You can type in a, in a, in a computer Or open up a concordance and run your finger down and count words in the Bible, right? And I'm going to tell you something. It means something. Do you know you find trees in the Bible mentioned 300 times? Trees. If something's mentioned in the Bible, for me, that's a ding, 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 ding. That lets me know I need to pay attention. Why did God choose so many times to use trees as examples in the Bible, right? Just like... you know, I've told you this, that's my heart feelings. You eat the meat, spit out the bones, you don't have to blame me. Jesus Christ laid hands on a man, prayed for him, said, what do you see? He said, I see men as trees walking. I had a guy, I listened to him preach a sermon and all he did was disturb me. What he said was, Jesus Christ healed him partially, then laid hands on him and healed him the rest of the way. That's not what, that's not what I get from that. I get that Jesus Christ laid hands on the man and healed him spiritually before he healed him physically. He laid hands on the man and prayed for him and said, what do you see? Because Jesus knew he was seeing something. That's why he asked. Jesus never asked a superfluous or unnecessary question. Never. And he asked that man, what do you see? He said, I see men as trees walking laid hands on him again, and prayed for him, and said, now what do you see? He said, I I see everything clearly. He got healed spiritually, then he got healed physically, right? God chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Amen? So, trees mentioned 300 times in the Bible, got to be a reason. I started doing this. I thought, word salvation, how many of you say the word salvation is important? It is. In the Bible, 156 times. The word salvation is mentioned in the Bible 156 times. The word mercy. How many of you believe mercy is important? The word mercy is mentioned 269 times. How many of you believe grace is important? Grace is mentioned 137 times. Now, those three words are closely related, are they not? So, I, I did the math. I told them up. 562 times those three words show up in the Bible. Pretty good, right? The word altar is mentioned 322 times and the word sacrifice and can you separate those two no you can't you can't separate the two the word sacrifice is mentioned 302 times and that's a total of 624 times the word altar and sacrifice together 624 times now there's a lot of emphasis placed on salvation mercy and grace and there should be because that's a major theme of redemption. Amen? But without the altar and without sacrifice, there would be no mercy. There would be no grace. There would be no salvation. Redemption is beautiful, but it is very graphic. Hold on to that phrase. Redemption is beautiful, but it's very graphic. And I'm going to explain to you why I use that phrase. So I wrote down here, what and where is the altar? Where is easy? It could be anywhere. It could be anywhere. It's the intent of the heart that makes the altar successful. Because only God knows the intent of the heart. Right? All right. So let's start with our first point. What is the altar? Three things I want to say about it. It's not just some old religious relic or icon. It's not just some old religious relic or icon. That's why, listen to me, people. We've got to get back to the altar. We've got to get back to the altar. It is supposed to be, you know, when a, when a man joins the army and goes to, to, to boot camp and gets his basic training, when he comes out of it, he's issued certain things uniforms, weapons, things on his backpack, all you know, the list of things that soldiers get, right? You are issued certain things as a child of God mercy, grace, all of these things, redemption. But if you're going to build a relationship with God, and you want to meet with our high priest, you cannot meet with him anywhere but at the altar of God. That's it. It's not just some old religious relic or icon that we can leave or take. The second point is the altar is a place where God and man meet. A place where God and man meet. I don't care if today you told me I've been setting aside some time every day and I've been talking to God and he hasn't said anything to me. Well, number one, let me tell you, I don't care if you never hear anything. Stay with it. Keep with God. He's watching over you. He's taking care of you. Amen? Have you ever noticed that I have to call Nathan a lot and say, Nathan, my phone won't work. Nathan, my computer is doing this. Now, my son loves me, and you know how I know he loves me? He fixes the thing, and he never calls me on it. He doesn't say, well, Dad, what stupid operator error have you done now? (laughs) He doesn't do that. He loves me. He's gracious to me. He fixes the thing, right? Now, how many of you know God loves me more than my son loves me, right? And he's aware of these things better than Nathan is, of all the things of my life. And that's my last born child. You know, he loves me and I love him. You know, he's gotten to where he helps me with these sermons. It's amazing. He sends me little I send him the sermon. He gets it ready to do the graphics and then he sends him a note back Wouldn't this sound better if you did this? And I say, No, that's a lousy idea. And I hang up and <laughs> <laughs> no, I tell him, Thanks, son. I appreciate it. So the altar is a place where God and man meet. I don't care if you hear nothing, but you will, though. You stick with him. He's going to start revealing himself to you. God likes to tell secret things to people he is close to. God likes to talk about some secret things to his children that he's very close with. Don't ever give up on that. Third point, it's a place where you come to be with your high priest. It's a place to come to be with Jesus. Amen? You're not on your own. I'm not, you know, I I was, I'm ashamed of how I reacted a week ago Friday night. I'm ashamed of it because I'm not pastor in this church. God is. God's the head of, you know, Jesus is the head of this church. It's his church. Amen. It's his church. And uh, for a few minutes there, I guess I thought I was responsible for it. And I am to an extent. You know what I'm responsible for? Teaching the word of God and praying for you keeping watch over you as an under-shepherd of Christ. Amen? I'm not without responsibilities, but I don't have the responsibilities that I tried to take on myself. Amen? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. I'll give you a chance to get there. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, we want to move into some points here that, that gets graphic. You know, the Hebrew word for altar comes from the word to slay. The altar, the Hebrew word for the altar, comes from the words to slay. Here's what just became painfully you know, visual to me in the last week while I was praying about this place we go to be with God. I mean, we, we, we think about it as being a beautiful place. Amen? It is a beautiful place. It's like, it's kind of like some of you may be wearing a, a cross around your neck or have one in your purse or somewhere on your person your or whatever. Why? Because in the cross, a beautiful place for us. Well, it was made beautiful by Jesus. It was the electric chair of the day that Jesus died on. It was not pretty jesus made it pretty only the power of jesus christ could take uh liken the cross to a real dirty nasty super wet uh gummed up rag right but only jesus could take that rag and wring every drop of everything out of it and in the end make it something beautiful that's what jesus did to the cross he destroyed the reputation of the cross that way, right? Another thing that he did, you have to understand this, you know, in the Old Testament, if the people were to continue to be servants of God and to have a relationship with God and build a relationship with God and enjoy the presence of God in a, you know, in a pillar of fire by night and a cloud in the day, if they were to enjoy that presence of God in the camp, they had to sacrifice animals. Now, listen. There were upwards of over a million people in the wilderness out there for 40 years traveling around. They'd set the tabernacle up, the tents and the tent tent, the tabernacle in the wilderness, and they would bring animals for sacrifice on a daily basis. And let me tell you what, that altar in that place was not a sterile environment. It was ugly. It was nasty it was dirty it was bloody and it was a place where things came to die they came there to die and the problem why sin isn't dying in the people of the church today is because they don't want to get messy they don't want to go to the altar and face God with it no, people want to hang on to their sin. And we've got to let go of it. We've got to go to that place. We're the ones that make it pretty. We want it to be a pretty place to go. We want it to be serene. We want it to be peaceful. And I'm going to preach on this later, but I will remind you, Jesus Christ that night in the garden... Made an altar and he talked to God until he sweated blood at that altar. Talking to Father about what he was about to go through. We don't like the thought of that. We're glad he did it. But we don't want to do it. That has got to change if we're going to have revival. I got to get brutal. I gotta I gotta jar you with the help of the Holy Spirit and get you to see what we have to do, what we need to do, what we must do. I'm not here to tickle your ears. Not here to do that. Love you too much to do that. So the Hebrew word for altar comes from the word to slay. Point number two the altar in the Old Testament was recognized by first its blood. Recognized by the blood. You knew you were there. You recognize that. Here's the altar. Blood, lots and lots, everything from doves and pigeons all the way up to bulls being sacrificed. And over the course of the year, by the millions. By the millions. Why? Because all of that shed blood of all of those animals could not do what Christ shedding his blood once for us did. Right? The second thing. It's recognized by pain. A lot of pain. Blood, pain, but the third one, that's the beautiful one, the covenant. The covenant in my blood. In the tabernacle in the wilderness, it was the covenant that God had made with Abraham. manifest in their presence every day. The covenant made with Abraham. Amen? Amen. Third point, I've already made this, the altar is not a glamorous place. The altar was not a sterile place. It's a place of death. It's a dirty place where sin is dealt with. It's where sin is dealt with. Amen? Next point, it is a place to bring your broken life. Do you realize that God will receive just about anything from you at the altar? especially us you know we come based on the fact that jesus christ shed his blood for us died was buried resurrected was seen of many and ascended to the father seated at the right hand to make an intercession for us can you say amen all right so it's a place for us to bring our broken life how many of you believe that you can bring a broken marriage to the altar you can bring your wayward children to the altar You can bring your unsaved loved ones to the altar. You can bring your sickness to the altar. You can bring your anxieties and your fears. You can bring your cares. It's a place to bring the impossible to God. This kind of preaching that God has brought me to in my life, it grips me. I don't apologize for it anymore. You know, I was a tough old cop for a lot of years. I didn't cry over anything. But the things of God break me. They just break me, and I'm grateful for it. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to read verses 6 and 7. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You should always read that passage of scripture in a very personal way. He cares for me. When I read it, I say, he cares for me. I used to say this, don't do it much anymore, but People ask me, how can you be so confident in God's love for you? I said, because he loves me more than he loves you. <laughs> but it's not true. And, and then people would chuckle a little bit like that. And some people would go, you know, looking at me like a cow studying a new gate. Have you ever seen that before? You yeah. know? No, God doesn't love me more than he loves you. But you, like me, need to be confident in your relationship with him. It's how you get to hear things at the altar. It's how you get to hear things. How many of you want to hear from God? Amen? All right, let's go after it. Fifth point, it's a place to bring your desires. And, and by that what I mean, you know, I, I wanted it to focus on the things. What do you want in life? Talk to God about them. But you know what? It's a place to bring your desires. The good ones and the bad ones. Amen? Amen. Do you know that it's okay to talk to God about your bad desires? He is the best one you could talk to about the bad desires of your heart and your life. Amen? He's the one you need to talk to. You have to talk to him about it. Do you think that because you don't talk to God about your bad desires that you're like the kid who got under the sheet, they can't get me now? (laughs) That God doesn't see them if you don't talk to him about them. A willingness to talk to him about him is the beginning of the road to being set free. Amen? You know, we're supposed to be a living sacrifice. Put that up there. Put that up there, Nathan. You're, you are to be a living sacrifice to God, right? Well, there, there's a problem that I, I have with that. Living sacrifices tend to crawl off the altar. You understand what I'm saying? living sacrifices tend to live they tend to get off the altar and go away or, or go out again find life right that's why i want to tell you that we need to leave these things at the altar and we need to let god kill many of them because only god can kill them if you think you can get set free all by yourself and i mean really set free you're, you're sadly mistaken only god really sets people free so that they walk in confidence and not have fear anymore over it. All right? Amen? All right, I know, I know we're moving right along now. You know, we've got to consider the biblical account of Abraham and his son Isaac. Abraham had the knife up, ready to thrust it into the chest of Isaac, who was God's promise in his life. That's the precise moment that God gave Abraham the breakthrough, just before the knife came down. It wasn't like between 6 o'clock and 9 o'clock at night, three hours. It was right there. Where he was about to obey God and run a knife through the heart of his son. There, There are many factors involved in this. Why in the world would he run a knife through his son's heart no matter what anybody said? God told him to do it, and he knew that God had promised him that son, and that if he obeyed God, God would raise that boy from the dead because God promised that young man to that father. And if in line with that, something so contrary that God would ask him to do, to run a knife through that boy's heart, he knew God would have to raise him from the dead. He did not have to have God explain it to him. He just was going to obey God. Now, if you read Hebrews like I like to read Hebrews, you understand that in the spiritual realm, he obeyed God. It was done. What God asked him to do, it was completed in, in the spiritual realm. He offered up Isaac to God in the spiritual realm. God said, it's so done in the spiritual realm, it doesn't have to be done in the physical realm. You ever think about that? That's powerful, isn't it? The altar is a place where you pour yourself out to God. Now, we've got to, we've got to do this. Look, look, I, I won't read you the whole story, but how many of you know that Hannah in the Old Testament was barren? She had no children. Now, this is in the Old Testament, right? <clears throat> the, the temple in the Old Testament was known for sacrificing animals. It wasn't known as much for people praying as much as people sacrificing you get my drift but even in the old testament hannah prayed agonizingly in a way that was so agonizingly apparent to everybody nearby that the prophet thought she was drunk and he accused her of of being drunk do you remember the story of hannah she was praying for god to give her a child she was barren she had no children and she was agonizing in prayer before the Lord. And she's mumbling and she's, you know, making sounds and noises. She's talking to God. And the prophet scolded her for being drunk. And when he heard her answer, he was so convinced that she was crying out to God. He didn't even ask her what it was. He told her, God grant you your prayer. And he did. Amen. Amen. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. He didn't even say, Well, what are you praying about? He just all of a sudden understood that she was Reaching out to God in a powerful way. And he responded to it. Psalm 34. I've got to read just a few passages to you in closing. Psalm 34, verses 17 through 19. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of some of them. No, that's not what it says. Out of of them all psalm 141 verses 1 and 2 O lord i call upon you hasten to me give ear to my voice when i call to you let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice now let me teach you something about the psalms there there are a number of different writers david being one of the prominent ones writers of the psalms but they wrote and penned and prayed what the Spirit of God was saying on the inside of him. Does that make sense? So when this says, let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as an evening sacrifice, this is a person who understands that his conversation with God is precious to God. It smells good to God. He likes it, right? He likes to hear from. Psalm 142, first seven verses. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, you have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There's no one who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, For they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me for you will deal bountifully with me. This is a person that was going through a lot. Being vexed from all sides. But knew to cry out to God. Jeremiah 33 and 3. Call to me and I will answer you. And will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Did I not tell you that earlier? Jeremiah 29, verses 12 and 13. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And then 1 Peter 3, verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. When you get up from the altar, your faith must be expressed in obedience. That's how you know your time was well spent. You walk in obedience. Go down on your knees. Get up and walk in obedience. Um, I got a little, a little story here about prayer. I remember it from my childhood, and, and I looked it up again. In a little country church each week when the pastor gave the altar call, a man named Bill would go to the altar to spend some time with the Lord and reflect upon the message of the pastor that he had preached that morning. And I'm going to tell you something. We've gotten away from that, and we need to get back to that right even though this is a a story invariably Tom would kneel beside him and pray that same prayer each week Lord I need you to clean the webs out of my life Lord each week the devil spins his web of sin in my life so Lord clean the webs out of my life week after week Bill would hear this same prayer finally one day Bill got fed up with Tom praying the same prayer every single week This week when Tom knelt at the altar beside Bill and prayed his same prayer, Bill laid his hand on Tom's shoulder and prayed, Lord, each week my brother comes to you with the webs of his life and asks you to clean them out. But Lord, I pray that you will just kill the spider. (laughs) I think that's a good prayer. Amen. How many of you know that the altar is a place of worship? You don't have to sing good. Trust me. You don't have to sing good. Just sing to God. Worship God. Amen. He wants to hear your voice. He loves to hear your voice. All right, last point. Point six, the biggest obstacle for many to get in their breakthrough and deliverance is pride. It's just pride. People don't want to answer an altar call because, you know, then you confess to the world before God and everybody. There's something going on in your life that needs to be touched by God and you don't want to do it. That's the only thing I can come up with. It's the only thing I can think of. I pray about it, and God told me pride. Pride keeps people from, you know, saying to the world, they need me. They don't want to do anything in front of other people that lets them know they got a need. Well, guess what? I know you know that I have needs. I know God knows, but I know you know, too. And guess what? I know you, too, do you, too. You have needs, amen? You do too, amen? We don't have to be ashamed. God's just put a mechanism in place for us to be able to deal with it, amen? You say, what about sin? Isn't it the biggest obstacle to getting your breakthrough? No, not sin in general, pride specifically, amen? Why will people not get rid of known sin in their life? Pride. The altar is foolishness. Crying out to God, tears flowing, here's what... (laughs) I don't know. I, I can't help it. I, is this, this, I got a mosquito that's coming to church with me here. Um, the altar's foolishness. Crying out to God. Tears flowing. Snot blowing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Listen, what's wrong with getting down at the altar and getting on your knees and getting with God and letting him fix things? I don't care how bad it breaks you open. You know? That's why God created Kleenex. You know what? I've gotten to where I don't bother with Kleenex anymore. I just carry around a roll of paper towels. You can clean up anything with a roll of paper towels, right? I do not believe that you can receive from God all the glory and goodness he has for you until you take it to the altar and get dirty. You got to take it where things bleed and things die. The carnal nature shrinks from the idea of the altar. The carnal nature does not want you to go to the altar. But your spirit man longs for the altar, for it is a place of breakthrough. The altar is a place of humility. Humbling. Got four takeaways. Just questions, really. And we're going to pray together. What do you have that needs to be brought to the altar? You got to answer that for yourself. What do you have that needs to be brought to the altar? Second takeaway, what cares do you need to cast at his feet? Well, all of them. Amen? All of them. It doesn't say cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. The two Greek words for that, they're, they're different. We care for things with worry. God cares for things with provision. Amen? the high priest of heaven will meet you there to receive your sacrifice and give you mercy grace salvation deliverance healing peace and joy amen the thing you must bring is yourself placed on the altar as a sacrifice to god amen you know i said well father You know, the times we're living in right now, I can't even lay hands on people. I can't anoint them with oil. I can't lay hands on them. God told me, don't worry about it. Teach the Word. Let the Word of God work. I'm going to pray for you. You've got to let these things sink in. You haven't heard this for the last time. You can go on the Internet now. You can hear it again. You can go on our website, and you can pull up literally the notes I use to preach the sermon, right? Like a manuscript, okay? And, uh, You can go over this again. You cannot forget these things. You cannot be like a person who looked in a glass and then turned away, a mirror and turned away and then forgot what they saw. This is not a take it or leave it message. Amen? This is a message of life and death importance. We've got to allow God to rule and reign in our lives or we're just going to keep heading, this whole world's just going to keep heading in the direction it's heading in and the church isn't supposed to be going there. Can you say amen? All right. Well, I love you. Wow. You don't know how good it feels to preach to real life human beings again. (laughs) I thank God for it. Oh, Ruthie was so upset this morning. I I hugged her. I kissed her. I prayed for her again. And uh, we're going to pray for her again now. Uh, She's watching from home. Um, You know, Ruthie and I aren't as young as we we used to be. And she tweaked her back or something. And and um prayed she was crying how many of you i can't bear to watch ruthie crying i can't do it i love her 44 years of marriage i hugged her i prayed for her I prayed for her she wanted help she called dr tanner he called in prescription and he said look if you're going to take these medications it's going to relax things he said i want to see you next week and our doctor is a christian too and he said i'm going to be praying for you and i want to see you next week he said but don't try to go to church under these medications (laughs) And so she said to me, I'm going, I'm going. She stands up, she walks to the bedroom door, and she reaches for the handle of the door and misses it clean. (laughs) She just missed the handle clean. So she reached again, and she missed it again. (laughs) And a third time, I said, you nailed it. Third time. So she's not with us. But I said all that to say this. You have a pastor and his wife who loves you very much. Stand with me and let me pray for you. How many of you want to be free? You didn't recognize me, so i raise the other hand. <laughs> Amen. Get a good stretch in. I like that. I, go, I like that. Father, we just want to take a moment in closing today and tell you that we love you so much. For, Father, in, the G, in Jesus' name, deal with the pride in our lives. Yank it from us, I pray in Jesus' name. May we yield it to you as a gift. Give it to you. Let you take it away and kill it. Destroy it. May we never hesitate, Father, to answer the call of your Spirit to give something to you. To build altars in our lives, not to all the junk around us, but to you. Make places of prayer, places of communication, places to take things that shouldn't be in our life and let it die. And it's also a place, though, Father, that since Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead and ascended to your right hand, it's also a place where living things are birthed within us now. In this church age, strength, peace, health, your glory manifests in our lives for your glory. Father, I want to thank you for each and every person in this room. I believe you had us all here for a reason. I believe that you've prepared the soil of our hearts. You've been faithful to plant good seed into that soil. May we be faithful to water it with the power of prayer and, to, and watch over it, Father, by the power of your Spirit. We need desperately for a great and mighty harvest of your word to come forth in our lives father i want to thank you for growing this church in the harshest of times i want to thank you for everybody that came to this place today how glorious that is father touch ruthie at home i pray in jesus name that you would heal her and set her free from this pain i pray in jesus name she has no desire to depend upon these medications she wants to depend upon you she's trusting you to set her free And we're lining up our prayer lives with her prayer life, Father. We thank you for healing. her once again, thank you for touching Kathy, Father, in her knee. And we speak words of death to the cyst growing in her leg. Thank you for removing it, Father, for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. We ask you to watch over us as we depart from this place. Help us enjoy a little socializing and fellowshipping uh, from six feet apart for a little bit, Father, before we depart from this building. But, Lord, may we trust you with our lives, every aspect of our lives above all else. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, fellowship together a little bit before you leave this place.